come Lord, come Lord. We need you in this place, Father. We can't take another breath without you. We can't live without you. We can't move without you. Have your way, have your way in this place, God. We open up our hearts, our minds to you. We open up our spirits to you. Lord, transform our minds, transform our thinking, transform the way we act, transform the way we look, transform the way, God, we, per we show others who you are. Oh, yeah. We're looking for your promises, Lord. We're looking for your promises, Lord. of eternal promise stirring in your sons and daughters earth revealing heaven's wonders spirit come spirit come what you spoke is now Your children shall behold it. Dreams awaken in this moment. Spirit come, Spirit come, Spirit come, Spirit come. Pour it out. Let your love unroll.
just these four walls not just between these four fill this house our bodies as a living sacrifice a temple for the king of kings and the lord of lords pressed down shaken together and running over fill this house let it run over let it run over to everyone that we meet everyone we talk to every time we run into let it pour out of us your spirit is thunder with a new future to tell for the dry season is over there is a cloud beginning to swell to the skies heavy with blessing lift your eyes and offer your heart Jesus Christ, open the heavens, now we receive the Spirit of God. 
never see Buried in sorrow You were called Forth in its time You are Lord Lord of the harvest Calling our home Now to arise Every seed It's buried in sorrow you will call forth in its time You are Lord, the Lord of the harvest Calling our home now to arise We receive your reign We receive Father, let your rain come. Your spiritual rain. 
reign of your glory.
worship your holy name Jesus my everything and all that I am is yours as I worship your majesty I worship your holy Everything and all that I am is yours as I worship your majesty. I worship your holy name, Jesus, my everything and all that. Jesus. 
praise you. I will glorify you, God, because you set me free, because you healed me, because you you moved in my family, God. We worship you. We honor you, God. I worship your holy name, Jesus, my everything. All that I am. So my soul pants for you, God. You could say long. Some translations say long. My soul longs for you, God. My soul thirsts for you. We sung several songs about the rain and about revival. And you know, God sends revival to those that are hungry. God sends revival to those that are hungry. And my question is, are you hungry for God this morning? The psalmist said, my soul longs for you as a deer pants for water. Do you long to know God intimately this morning? Hey, as we get ready for prayer, we're going to pray this morning. And that's one of the things that I want to pray about. And here at Life Church, we believe that prayer changes things. We believe prayer moves mountains. We believe God turns his ear to a praying church and he hears us. So this morning, I want to pray that God would give us a hunger for more of him. That God would begin to birth gifts in ministries in our church and in the body. And that God would bring healing and deliverance in the lives of individuals near us and close to us. Are you ready to pray? Are you ready to pray this morning? Father, we come before you this morning. God, and we pray. God, stir up a hunger within us. God, stir up an unquenchable fire within us. In the name of Jesus, God, let us set us on fire and let people come to watch us burn, oh God. Lord, that you are a consuming fire. God, you are a consuming fire. And I ask that you set us ablaze, God. Make us hungry for you. Give us hunger for the word. Give us hunger for truth. Give us hunger for your spirit, oh God. God, I pray that you move in us and you give us a desire that we long to spend time with you. We long to be with you. We long to know you, God. We long to know you more. God, fan the flames and the, and the embers in our hearts so that our heart cries for you, so that our soul longs for you, oh God. God, I pray that you would birth ministries and gifts in this church, God. Lord, as our hospitality team gets out the ground, as different ministries are beginning to be launched, God, I bless those ministries. I bless those peepers. I bless those leaders, God. Lord, and your power and your anointing would be on those ministries. You would use those volunteers. And right now, I proclaim a wall as the enemy would stand up against them and, and the anointing of God would cover them and their family. Lord, I pray for those that, that stand and take the banner and that lead with your anointing god i pray for gifts and ministries raise up people fan the flame of gifts god that people have laid dormant in their heart father i pray for healing and deliverance this morning lord i pray that you would heal 
the soul you would heal the mind you would heal those thought patterns in, in our lives oh God and you bring deliverance right now every individual on the sound of my voice Jesus your word says in Luke 4 the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim freedom to the captive and I pray that you bring freedom right now in Jesus name you bring deliverance to those that are in bondage to addiction you bring deliverance to those in bondage of anxiety you bring deliverance to those in bondage yes, of bitterness yes, you bring deliverance God and you bring healing and total total consume us God with your glory that we can be formed in the image of Jesus and our character would be shaped Lord that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only in Jesus name in Jesus name if you agree with that why don't you say amen this morning amen amen hey why don't you greet somebody around you before you're seated tell them hello welcome them to service on this wet soggy Louisiana day Well, good morning, Life Church. It's so great to see you. It's so great to be here with you this morning. I want to welcome everyone to service. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm glad you decided to be with us. If this is your first time with us, uh, after service, you can visit the Welcome Center. We've got a special gift for you. We'd like you to fill out a connect card so we can get to know you. Our hospitality team can connect with you and help you find your place in the kingdom, in the body. And hey, that's what we're about here. We want to connect people, and we want to connect with people and connect with God. So we want to get to know you more. We want to connect with you. I invite you to visit the Welcome Center, find out more about our church more about what we're doing here and how we're following the voice of God for that I do have a reminder for you guys um, actually it's an announcement because I haven't announced it yet but nevertheless uh, next Sunday uh, we will be our hospitality team will be set up at the coffee bar and we're gonna have some coffee and we're gonna have some light refreshments and it's just gonna be a time to connect so our hospitality team is gonna serve and the purpose of that is to connect if this is your first time here I invite you to come back next week and grab a cup of coffee and get to know somebody our hospitality team is gonna be there to answer questions to uh, connect with you get to know you a little bit more so that's gonna be from 945 to 1025 so I invite you come early show up grab a cup of coffee and make a meaningful connection with somebody because that's what we're about at Life Church. We want to connect with God and we want to connect with each other. So that's going to be an exciting time. And I want to remind you guys about May 30th to June 1st is our Kids Crusade. So that starts at 6 nightly. And if you want to uh, volunteer, participate in that, you have an opportunity for that. And also, you can go online to lifechurchla.com and register your kid if you want them to be a part of that. It's a completely free event. We just would like a head count of who's going to be attending. How many of you know Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord in your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. At Life Church, we do believe in giving, and we've given you four opportunities to partner with the Lord in giving. We've got boxes on the back wall. We've got a text to give feature. We've got an app. And we have also have a giving feature on our website. So we want you guys to be afforded every opportunity to partner with God in giving. Because you know what? There's such a huge blessing as we partner with God in his mission in reaching the world with the gospel. Amen? Hey, at this time, Pastor Tiger's coming to the platform, and we are going to get ready to celebrate our graduates for the Light and Life class. These guys have committed to 
attending every class, and he's going to tell you more about that. Thank you, Pastor Josh. I was about to tell you, don't take my words. Okay. Yeah. Before I say that, I want to, uh, a reminder, we have an accessory prayer that's been taking place in that middle room right behind the kids' check-in for quite a few weeks now, about three or four weeks, I, I believe we've been meeting. And can I tell you something? I don't remember what the man's name that said this, but it was profound. He said this. He said, history belongs to the intercessors. So what's going to happen over the years in this church is going to be determined by how devoted we are to prayer in this church. So those who are praying on Wednesday nights, those who are praying uh, on Sunday mornings, and then the ones who participate here on Sunday before service in the prayer, thank you, but God's looking for an increase, and I believe he's going to bring a move through it. Just wanted to interject that. Uh, this is our graduation for the Light and Life team. It was a school of evangelism that was birthed in the heart of Pastor Bob. Uh, we have actually just finished our third session, and so the next one's going to be number four. I'm hoping that we have a full sign-up sheet. Uh, we got five graduates this morning. They had a couple of people who made it to most of them. Unfortunately, they couldn't make it to all of them because of circumstances, but even though they knew they couldn't finish with a graduating certificate, they nevertheless, they finished uh, like the second and, and last class, so that's you know, that's admirable. It shows they weren't showing up for a certificate. They were showing up because they were hungry. And I'm going to tell you something. If you have a desire to reach the loss, I believe when you make a commitment, like giving a little bit of your time for six weeks in a row, I believe that God deposits something in your life because he knows you're serious about what you're asking him to do in your heart. So without further ado, I'm going to call up our first graduate, Mr. Farley Painter. Come on up, Mr. Farley. So we have a we have a uh, a certificate and we have a little book by Francis Chan and we also have this little trinket here. This is something that Steve Hill gave his first graduating class from an evangelism school that he started right after the Brownsville revival. So this thing uh, this means a lot to me. It's beautiful. I have one. We've given them to all the graduating classes and this book. I'm pretty sure I haven't read it yet, but I mean, it's Francis Chan. He has a powerful story. So be blessed, man. Thank you so much for devoting your Saturdays. Look, we're going to take a picture right here. All right, next, Mr. Jordan James LaFosse. Jordan actually got baptized last year on... Uh, Halloween day. He gave his life to Christ shortly before that, and he's been walking with the Lord. So I'm proud of you, Jordan. Thank you for attending faithfully. This is yours. God bless you, brother. My favorite graduate, my beautiful wife, Miss Christy Lee Morgan. Her devotion was awesome. There were a couple of Saturdays where she had, uh, we didn't have a, anybody to watch our kids. So she sat on the very last row out there. Well, she sat outside the doors, opened them, put the kids in the nursery, and attended from out there. You know, so she got creative with her attendance. And uh, so thank you, baby, for that. All right, Mr. Emmanuel. McCoy. There you go, my brother. Let me give you your 
book and your. I'm gonna give you all a little heads up about these keychains. Uh, I wouldn't use the the thing that's on it. I'd I'd hook it to the bottom. Come see, buddy. I'd hook it to that that big circle at the bottom on your keychain because I think the other one breaks. And finally, this is not the youngest graduate we've ever had, but he's still young, showing you that God, like Pastor Josh says, there's no junior Holy Spirit. So Uriah McCoy, father and son, took this together. Uriah is one of my students in the Agape Life, and I've just, it's been such a blessing to have him as part of the class. He's a Man, he loves the Lord. He's always got something interesting to say, uh, but he's always focused. Uh, he puts a heck of a performance on for the Christmas events, and we just love you, Uriah. Thank you, man. So if you guys are interested in joining the Light and Life Evangelism team, we will be announcing the next class coming up in the next three to four weeks, so when that's going to be. So come get lit up, man, and burn for Jesus. Amen. That's so awesome. I can't tell you how many years I dreamed of seeing something like this out of our church um, because Jesus made it clear that the harvest is plentiful. And the laborers were few. He didn't say pray for more harvest. He said pray for more laborers. And so this is just, you know, I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I really am. And uh, let's see, where's Sam? Yeah. Oh, I see. He's the baby whisperer again. <laughs> that's just, if you don't know Sam, that's the baby whisperer. He has a way with babies. And uh, just, Justin, right? I just want to point this, this man out. I met, uh, we talked Friday night at a um, kids' football game. And, uh, but it was how many months ago you were in? You had your act five months ago? November 17th. And, and if I remember the circumstances, I, I could stand corrected, but it was Wednesday night. We got a, Sam got a message that he was in an accident and it, and. and with the little information we had, said his body was crushed, didn't think he was going to live through the night, whatever. And this church went to prayer. We went to prayer. And for a day or so, we kept hearing different reports, but we kept believing what God's Word said. And we kept standing on the promise of God. And there he is right there. Would you stand, brother? A testimony of answered prayer. Don't tell me prayers don't matter. Don't tell me not, let's put it this way. Don't tell me knowing how to pray doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, because a lot of people would pray, Lord, be with the family, be with the friends, and God, if it's your will, do this and do that. But we weren't, weren't, we weren't praying that way. We were praying life. We were speaking health over his body, healing for his body. And, um, and, and look, you say, well, what if it doesn't happen? Look, God just says, ask, and I'll do it. 
And the problem is we don't ask. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, anyway, I just, I'm so glad to see you this morning, brother. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, I have a message this morning, and I'm just going to, I've got to preface this at the beginning. Please don't write me off. Because you're going to have to stay through the whole thing to get to it, okay? Because the title is going to throw most of you. It really is. Okay, brother, bring, bring, these, bring the brightness down a little bit. There's one up there that's just about to put me out, and it's probably booming right off my forehead and blinding everybody out there. They've got to have, hand out sunglasses, okay? And, uh, but this is going to sound a little strange, but this is the message. This is what the title God gave me three weeks ago. And it says, a call for a division of the house. Now, let me, let me back up and then I'm going to refill, okay? And, and, and tell you where, where this is going. Because it's going to sound really crazy. But, but just hang with me. I'm going to show you what, what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. You know, the Bible says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The problem is the church is usually doing all the talking and not doing any listening. And God is speaking. So um, let me just give you the background, then I'm going to refill and tell you kind of how this came about. Um, how many in here are, well, I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> Most people today are not familiar with parliamentary law. Uh, I don't know why. I, years and years ago, that I got very interested in that. I have served um, for the Louisiana District of the Assemblies of God. I have served on the parliamentary committee for 20 plus years, 25, 28 years, something like that total over the years. Um, I, I, I don't know why, but it's just, it, there's order to it. There's order to it. And, but a lot of people don't understand the order to it. And one of the things that's in parliamentary procedure in other words, parliamentary procedure is the way that organizations usually run themselves. How many of you have ever heard of Robert's Rules of Order? Anybody? Three or four of you. Okay. It, it, he, he is like the, the Bible concerning parliamentary law and, and the way things are done. Otherwise, in a large meeting, there would be chaos. Everybody speaking, everybody saying what they want to do, how, when, where, and how. So he, these are the rules, the standardized rules. And there is a parliamentary procedure um, in, in Robert's Rules, and it's, this is used in governments all across the world. Um, uh, it's especially interesting when I've watched uh, um, things going on, debate going on in the House of Commons, like in, in, in England and stuff like that. But a parliamentary procedure for a call for a division of the House and what that is simply is a method for taking a vote um, that physically counts the voting members. Uh, typically, a division is taken when the result of a voice vote is challenged or there is a required two-thirds majority. For example, if there's, let's say there's a resolution on the floor to be voted on. And usually it's done by voice vote. And they, the chairman will say, all in favor, say aye. And then you'll have those who'll say aye. And then you say, all opposed, no. And they'll say no. 
And can I tell you that sometimes it is not clear who has the majority? Because sometimes the dissenters, the, the ones that yell no, are louder than the ones that say yes. And so it's not always the loudest, but sometimes it, it's the numbers that matter. Okay, so um, I'll just give you an example. Just last month in our state uh, dis district council meeting, there was a resolution that came to the floor, the very first resolution. And because it was a constitutional resolution, it required a two-thirds majority vote. And so there was much discussion about it. And so eventually the vote was called for. And they said, all in favor, say aye. And there was a loud aye. But then when it came to no, there was a loud no. <laughs> and, and the chair could not tell if two-thirds majority had taken place. So uh, somebody made a motion and called for a division of the house. And, and that simply means that usually, in fact, it's often called a rising vote. In other words, what they may do is say, all in favor, stand up. And then they'll count. And then they'll say, all opposed, and they'll count. Well, they, what's usually done beforehand is there's a tally of how many voting members there are. So let's just say there's 300. And if you're needing two-thirds, obviously you're needing like 200 people to go for it, okay? So if they begin counting uh, the yeas and they realize there's not going to be 200, they will stop the count because they know the resolution has failed. And that's exactly what happened in our meeting. They, got, they were counting the yeas, those people who were standing, and they stopped the count realizing they didn't have the two-thirds majority. And so the resolution failed, okay? Now, sometimes in groups they'll say they call for a division of the house, and they'll actually make people get up and separate. All those in favor sit on this side, all those in favor sit on this side. But again, a division of the house is simply a call for a vote. Um, and, and it's often called, as I mentioned, a rising vote. Well, members will stand. I've seen uh, parliamentary law done in, in um, let's say, even in Congress, where instead of them just saying I or whatever, I've seen them stand at their desk representing their state or their congressional district, and they'll cast their vote by standing. Um, Again, I went back to the point that usually the numbers, according to Robert's rules, are not announced. In other words, they'll simply take the count and announce if it passes or fails. But what is interesting is there's a little caveat in there that the numbers may be counted and the number be made known if the chairperson asks for it. Okay? if the chairperson asks for the numbers. In other words, instead of them saying, Mr. Chairman, he'll say, count them all and tell me the numbers. And so the chairperson can call to know or make known what the numbers are, all right? You say, okay, what has that got to do with anything? You see this picture on the screen? I put that together, it's nothing great, I know. But three weeks ago tomorrow, um, I got up early that morning and had my quiet time, uh, really didn't sleep well that night, and I just got up and I thought, well, instead of just tossing and turning, get up, drink my coffee, and, and just have some quiet time with the Lord, whatever. 
And nothing spectacular, nothing supernatural or anything took place during that time. I mean, it's just my regular time. And uh, a little bit of time passed, and finally I decided, well, I need to get ready for the day. And so I went to the bathroom to brush my teeth and wash my face and all that kind of stuff, right? And as I went to brush my teeth, I heard, I don't know how to explain it, I didn't hear audibly, but I heard inside my spirit. And, and if you, I know some of you, you're here today and you don't know anything about God. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relate this to you in, in just a little bit. But we are spirit beings housed in clay, this flesh. When we die, our house, this, this flesh sheds, our, our body is, is shed, but the spirit and soul is still alive. It, it is eternal. And so we are spirit beings. In fact, the Bible says that when we are in our sins without Christ, we are spiritual, we are dead in our spirit. We are spiritually dead. But when we accept Christ and surrender our lives to Christ, we become spiritually alive. And so it, we are spirit beings, and, and God speaks spirit to spirit. He uses 99 and 99 tenths of the time. He speaks through this word, and something will come alive out of this word, and he brings application to it. But God has other ways of speaking to us according to the scriptures. He, there's uh, prophetic gifts and, and, and tongues, interpretation and prophecy. There are words of knowledge and wisdom. There are visions and dreams. There have been angelic encounters and things. But 99% of the time is going to come right through this word. And so this is why this is so important to have this inside of you because God speaks through this and as we have taken it in and digested it and it becomes part of our lives, then God has something to grab hold of inside of us to speak to us. Does that make sense? And so I went to brush my teeth. And as I went to brush my teeth, immediately I heard as if it was uh, like a herald, what's um, like a bailiff in a courtroom or like a herald in, in a congressional hall. Who, and I heard this, this echo just, just bellow out through, like in a hallway in a rotunda. And it says, a call for a division of the house. And it was so clear. I was like, <laughs> I stopped my electric toothbrush. And I was like, what was that? And immediately I saw like a, a white frame steeple church. And I saw a white line going right up the steps and down the aisle. And that's why I put that picture up like that. And it went straight all the way to the front, to the pulpit, right up in the front. And, and I heard that word again, a call for a division of the house. Man, I just like put my toothbrush down and I went and sat down and I'm like, God, what are you trying to say? And so the Holy Spirit began to speak to me through that. And I've been holding this for three weeks, kind of letting it stew you know, and so you're going to get it this morning. <laughs> this is this is this is what I feel like he's saying to us. 
In, Ma in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. This couldn't be more fitting today than having these graduates who have been trained to go out. See, the problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the lack of laborers. But it goes beyond that. Now, I'm a pastor, I'm an ordained minister, and so my focus is I'm going to be going after pastors and ministers. But this applies to every Christian, every professing Christian, okay? So don't think you're off the hook. But I want to take this beyond this because I'm one for going, you know, I look at things and I see problems, but you know what? Usually behind those problems, there's something deeper. And if you don't get to the root cause, the same thing happens over and over and over again. And we keep wondering why it keeps doing that, okay? Um, and, and the lack of laborers, a, a, a large portion of that goes back to the fact that many ministers and pastors have lost sight of their calling. Now, please listen to me. I'm not bashing pastors or ministers or anything like that, because at the end, we're going to be praying for the pastors and ministers in this area and all across our country. The problem is that they've, they, they, they've, they're pushing their own ideas, their own philosophies, their own agendas, instead of preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And the problem is that they say they want revival, or they say that they want spiritual renewal, or they want a move of God, and then there's some who, they don't want that. They just want the status quo, okay? But I, I'm going after the ones who say they want it. But they want it to come on their terms. In other words, they want it to happen within the framework of the American gospel message. And I preached a series about four or five years, five years ago on the American gospel, American Christianity. And, and so, so why, I'm asked, why have pastors, ministers, why have they changed the message that God gave us, that Jesus Christ commanded us to go and preach and share. Why have we done this? And again, this doesn't just fall on the pulpit, even though that's where I'm going to have my focus, because the call to go and make disciples was not a pastor thing. It wasn't an evangelist thing. It was a Christian thing. Okay? So just hear what I'm saying. But there's Studies show that there are many reasons, but there are three main um, reasons why pastors compromise telling the truth um, uh, or, or compromise their calling to preach the truth. There's three different ones. And here's the first one. And the first one is the fear of reprisal, okay? In other words, the fear of what somebody or others may say or do should they preach what the Bible actually says, okay? Um, Dr. Paul Chappell said, the fear of man is the enemy of the fear of the Lord. The fear of man pushes us to perform for man's approval rather than according to God's directives. Now, now listen, surveys show that Fewer people are attending church in America today than at any time in our history. 
And, and there's a number of reasons for that. And honestly, the last couple of years with the COVID pandemic and all that, that really accelerated this. It was already happening. You could see the downward trend line for years, but it's like it almost fell off a cliff after COVID, okay? And, and so because of the lower numbers, if I can put it that way, of people who are attending, it puts tremendous pressure on a minister to perform, to draw a crowd, some years ago, I had a pastor in this area ask me, he said, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm doing a series. He said, on what? And I told him, he said, I could never preach that in my church. I said, why? It's biblical. He said, because what I preach to get the people in is contrary to what you're preaching. And if I preach that, I'd lose over half my people. That's what he told me. I said, brother, did you just hear what you said? He said, if I go that direction, I will lose half my people. And so what happens is we have pastors, ministers who are, who are preaching to draw the crowd and keep the crowd. Can I tell you the most dreaded question at any kind of ministerial function, whether it's a luncheon, a conference, or anything, the most dreaded question a pastor wants to hear is, how many did you have in your church last Sunday? Because it's like, a, it's like a, you know, I had more than you had kind of thing. And, and when you add it to the ability of people today, if they don't like what you say from the pulpit, or they don't like what you're doing in your church, if you can put it that way, it's not my church, it's his church, but you know what I'm understand, saying. They simply shop around till they find what they like. And I've seen that I've I, I've lived in towns where people church hop, and I know that about every nine months these people are coming back because they've been to every other church, and and, may, and maybe not like Lafayette because here you can go everywhere for five years and I'd never see you again. You know, I mean, there's a church on every corner. But when I've lived in smaller towns or communities, you, you just knew in nine, ten months they're coming back. And they'll be there for a few months and they'll say, oh, pastor, God really spoke to me. This is where I belong. And I'd say, good. And then in a couple months, they're gone again. And I find out they're down, they're down the street and whatever. And I say, here they come again. You know, I mean, they just circle back around again. It's the truth. Um, and, and because of that, it, because if you say something that's biblical and they don't like it, they'll go to another church. Um, it puts a tremendous pressure on a pastor to not say anything that might cause payback or reprisal of some kind. And here's the thing, that the consumerist mindset that is in our culture is just as evident in our churches. And I'm, I'm just being honest with you, okay? Um, we can we could speak about the, the evil in our culture. We could talk about all that. But then we go examine our lives and you're going to see your life's right up there with them. Maybe it's different stuff, but it's, it's that mindset of what's in it for me. I cannot tell you how many times in the last 40 years I've heard, Pastor, I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting fed. I got to go someplace else. 
Can I tell you, when I first started preaching, I wasn't the best preacher in the world, but I haven't changed my source. I haven't, I've always just been like I am now. I tell it like it is, no matter where the chips may fall. And, and I've tried to be honest about what God's word says and, and, just, and, and just say, this is what the Lord is saying. But if you said, I'm not being fed. And I remember years ago, I used to have a poster, Brother Josh. It was a poster of a whole church. It was looking from the pulpit out across the congregation. And the pastor had this giant spoon and he was dipping it in a bowl of porridge and trying to feed the people. And can I tell you, it's not a, it, the purpose of preaching is not to feed. It's, it's, it is to a certain, some degree, but it's to invigorate and inspire and stir up and cause us to look in the mirror and, 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 and for us to say, God, I need you in my life. Not to give us enough that we just were satisfied until the next feeding, so to speak. And so pastors will speak on subjects that tickle the ears of those who put money in the offering plate and they're beholden to those in the church that control the purse strings or the influence of other people. And they're careful not to step on any toes by taking any action that might offend someone or cause a disruption in the fellowship. And I was thinking about this late last night. When I first moved to Louisiana in 1983, I was on staff at the church at First Assembly of God in Thibodeau, Louisiana. And uh, one of the things that we had, we started and had there, we had a bus ministry. We had one of those uh, miniature buses, I guess. Well, it wasn't like a big bus, but it wasn't one of them little tiny buses. I don't know, 28, 30 people, it would old. And, and we, we ran that bus out and we had it, our, our church configured in such a way. And we had two mornings services and two Sunday schools and a children's church in the middle. And we'd go out into the highways and byways of Thibodeau and down the bayous and we'd fill the bus up. And then another bus would go out and fill the bus kids up and bring them in. And can I tell you, these kids were rowdy. <laughs> you know, most of them not brought up in church and, they're, they're wild and whatever, but you know, we were going out and bringing them in. And I will never forget when some people in the church confronted the pastor because he said, you know, we got to stop this bus stuff because these kids are wrecking our church. I mean, we, we, it's, we, we want it to look nice for visitors. And um, I was so thankful that our pastor had enough backbone to stand up against that crowd and said we're not shutting the bus ministries down well then they said i'll just withhold my money he said it ain't your money if you want to hold on to it go ahead but the curse is on you but that's what i'm just telling you they're concerned a lot of times somebody will come with great influence or whatever and they'll go, oh, 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 I'm going to lose them. I'm going to lose them. Um, I, we better shut that down. And this is just a fulfillment of what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He said, for the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, having itching ears. So the, 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 fir the first reason that 
that preachers have quit preaching the truth of the whole gospel is because of fear of reprisal. The second reason is the need for acceptance. It is well documented, and you may not know this, but it is well documented um, that in America, 1,800 ministers quit the ministry every month. Every month. And I can tell you that Bible colleges and training centers are not turning out that many people to fill. And many churches go without anyone. And they end up dying and closing. And, and, um, but there's three, there's, there's probably seven or eight main reason, reasons why they're quitting, but there's three main ones. And I'm, I'm not bringing this out to say anything. Listen, I'm just trying to inform you to what's going on out there, what's happening in our world today, okay? And the first main reason that pastors are quitting, ministers are quitting, is because of their family. 80% of all pastors believe that the pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Can I tell you an interesting thing? This was shown very, several years ago that there was a time when there was a great move of God and God was calling individuals into the ministry out of secular employment. And at a women's conference years ago, three-fourths of every pastor's wife in that conference said that when they married their husband, he was not in ministry. And they said... I didn't sign up for this. Can I tell you, I would never have lasted the years I have lasted if it wasn't for my wonderful wife, Amanda. I'm just telling you. I don't know how. If there's division in the house, how in the world can a pastor make it, a minister make it? I mean... Because here's what happens, a pastor family, a pastor's family will always see and feel how he or she is treated. I remember in my, my daughter's teenage years, my daughter who's upstairs right now with those kids pouring her heart out, the gospel, the whole gospel to those children. And I remember during a rough time, at a church where they were trying to starve us out to get us to leave. And, and my daughter made the statement, teenage daughter made the statement, why would I want to follow a God whose people treat you and mama like these people do? And I had to turn to her and say, baby, doesn't matter how they respond. Said, I'm not here to serve because of them, I'm here because God said, this is where you belong. I said, and the worst day in God is better than the best day out there in the world. And she didn't accept it at the time, but God did a miracle for her a couple months afterwards. I wish I had time to tell you. And, and, and look where she is today. But I'm just telling you, a pastor's family, they, they see behind the scenes. You know, I remember hearing older pastors than me who said, we never let our kids know any of the strife 
that was called in going on in the church. Can I tell you, that all changed years ago when PTL blew up and all the scandals with the televangelists and everything. It became front page news and all of a sudden, that which was sacred was no longer sacred. And, and here's something I bet none of you thought about because whether it's a lack of compensation or undue stress or other reasons, unlike any other profession, the family worships where the pastor works. See, there ain't no going home to get away from it. I can't tell you how many people say, we don't bring work home. Can I tell you, that doesn't work in a pastor's house. Because your life is work. It's a calling. And the family has to worship where the pastor works. And when they see all the stuff that people say and do, when they, when they hear all of that stuff, and I thank God that Life Church has been such a blessing to me and my wife. I mean, almost 18 years now, we've been through some difficult times and tough times. But I'm telling you, this group right here, right now, this is awesome. Well, God, you, you're so supportive, and I'm so thankful for that. But I'm telling you, it's... When, when they see how mama's being treated or dad's being treated, and then they got to go in and worship God with those same people. I, no, I can't do that. She'll ask for a new outfit if I say what my wife said one time. I can't go there. <laughs> Another reason why pastors are quitting, 1,800 ministers are quitting every month, finances. 70% of most pastors say that they're grossly underpaid. And many pastors, especially since the COVID shutdowns, are barely making the income needed to support them and their family. And it's causing them to be bivocational, which has its pros and has its cons. But the dilemma is not whether a pastor is bivocational, okay? Because I've done both. I've done both. I mean, when I first started a church, God told me, you're not, to take a, you're not to take a job for two years. I said, Lord, we don't have any people. Look, when you start a church, you don't have nobody. There ain't no offering because there ain't no people. And so I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do for two years? He said, put your heart into this community and win them to the Lord, and I'll take care of you. But after two years, almost to the date, a man walked in and said, I'm looking for an insurance agent in this area. And I said, you got him. And they said, no, I'm looking for I said, I'm already licensed in, in another state. I can have it transferred here. And, and within just a couple months, I was a manager. And I mean, God, and, and the church began to grow. And I'm just saying, so bivocational is not bad. I'm not saying that at all. The, the dilemma comes when the pastor is working full-time outside of the church and the people in the church expect him to work full-time or more in the church. You can't have two full-time jobs. Come on now. Jesus said you can't have two masters. <laughs> You know, so I, I'm just saying. So a lot of them quit because of the financial pressure. And, and the third reason is loneliness. I know you say, well, man, he's got everybody in the church. No, he doesn't. 70% of all pastors will tell you they don't have one close friend and they constantly battle depression. Constantly. Many pastors have stated the inability to confide in church members. Why, you say? Because they feel like if they say or do 
something they say or do will eventually be used against them. Ask me how I know. Because I've always been one. I'm transparent. I'm just open. I'm there, you know. And, and my, my mentor said, don't ever get close to people in your church. I said, how you do that? How, how, would, how, how do you love on people and not get close to them? He said, you got to keep arm's length. And I'm, I tried that. I couldn't do it. And, and, but can I tell you, there will come a time where somebody will take something and turn it against you. But you know what? That's when you go and say, God. You're my shelter. You're my refuge. You're my place. You're my high tower, Lord God. God, set the record straight. I'm not preaching a negative message. There's honest. As I said, you got to stay with me. There's a positive part to this. And so many pastors, their fear of reprisal, the need for acceptance keeps them from preaching the whole truth. And then the third reason is a loss of a biblical worldview. Um, and, and you say, well, what does that mean? Okay, let me help you. The influence of culture versus God's word. It's the influence of culture on the church versus God's word in the church. Um, somebody sent me an article just this week as I was putting all this together and, and, and I had researched other statistics about other things and, and it just fit, but it said that 37%, basic, basically one out of every three ministers hold a biblical worldview. And you say, well, in other words, what is that? Well, first of all, what you need to do know is that a person's worldview is primarily completely developed by the age of 13. It may go through a refining process in their teen years and maybe even early 20s, but it's pretty much set in their lives by the time they're 13, 14 years old. This is what surveys and statistics show. And it's one of the reasons we put such a high premium on and priority on teaching and imprinting God's word in the lives of our children and our students. As I used to be a youth pastor. And I'd have people in the church say, my kid ain't nothing but trouble here. Fix them. And I'm thinking, you had them for 16 years and messed them up. And now I'm supposed to fix them with one night a week in youth service. I said, it doesn't work that way. I mean, God can do miracles. I understand that. But where were you in the previous 16 years of their life? What were you imprinting on them? What were you telling them? So two-thirds of all church ministers and pastors have, have taken hold of a trend. And the trend is to blend differing views and beliefs and, to, and philosophies into one package. And that's what I mean by a, an unbiblical worldview. A new survey showed eight different categories of belief and behavior. And the eight categories were family, value of life, God, creation and history, personal faith practices, sin, salvation, and one's relationship with God. Out of those eight things, what was amazing that the lowest percentage of pastors holding a biblical worldview are the ones that dealt with beliefs, behaviors, 
about the Bible, truth, and morality. That was the lowest. Pastors. So they've morphed God's word into that which is pleasing and acceptable. And so they, they've changed their views on beliefs. They've changed their views on behaviors. They've changed their views on morality. And this began many years ago, and older than, longer than some of you have been alive, but it began years ago in what was, I called, what was called back then the ecumenical movement. And it's still touted somewhat today, and it, and it was basically the calling for denominations and, and now even different religions to find common ground and unify around those things, okay? And, and, and it sounds good, but is it biblical? In other words, it, I should be able to pray with a Muslim. I should be able to pray, be able to pray with a Hindu. I should be able to pray because we should find common ground. I should be able to pray with this person of this faith or this denomination or whatever. But we never would I have dreamed in my lifetime that we would have denominations who have discarded the word of God for what is trending in culture and saying that, that um, uh, gay marriage is okay and that uh, immorality is okay. And, and this, I mean, it's unreal. And so you say, well, isn't it biblical that Jesus prayed for unity? Yes, but 1 John 1 and 7 says, if we walk in the light as he, speaking of Christ, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the common ground is the light of God's word. If I walk in the truth, the whole truth of God's word, and you walk in the whole truth of God's word, then we have common ground. But if you say, well, I believe it's all right for homosexual marriage, and I'm not a hater, listen to me. God is mercy upon every, but I've got to tell the truth. The word of God is against it. Well, culture says then I'm, I, 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 I'm, I, I hate people. I'm a bigot. I'm not. I'm a proclaimer of the word. That's all it is. It's all it is. And it's just not, it's not just that one thing. See, there, there are certain biblical truths that cannot be set aside for the purpose of unity. And this is a major area where the American church has been compromised. And in doing so, instead of the church influencing culture, culture has now shaped the modern-day church. Another article that I was reading uh, revealed that 40% of, of Gen Z, Generation Z adults, believe that Jesus was, wasn't sinless. 40%. Four out of six, four out of ten believe that Jesus sinned. Okay? Uh, the American Bible Society in their latest survey that was just released said people between the ages of 18 and 25 years old believe that Jesus Christ was human and committed sins just like everybody else. And the old people immediately, the older people immediately go, that's that young group, they don't know nothing. Well, don't get off the hook. I ain't letting you off the hook because there was more data 
Because the Generation X group, you say, well, I don't know nothing. Gen, generation Z, Generation X, Generation whatever. I don't know what all that is, okay? Generation X is those who are born between the mid-1960s to 1980. 37% of them believe that Jesus, died, uh, Jesus sinned. Millennials. Oh, it's a millennial. Glad you asked. Those who were born early 1980s and through mid-1990s, early 2000s, 35% of them believe that Jesus sinned. And all the older folks are going, that's that young crowd. The baby boomers. When's the baby boomers? That's those from, born after World War II, 1946 to 1964. 35% of them believe that Jesus walked this earth and sinned like everybody else. Barna Research came to this conclusion. I'm going to put the quote on the screen. They said, it certainly seems that if America is going to experience a spiritual revival, that awakening is needed just as desperately in our pulpits as it is in the pews. Ouch. I read another article this week. It just all this stuff started coming this week. I didn't even have to go looking for it. It just started showing up in my inbox and my email. And another article was talking about how many people today love the idea of Jesus when he loves sinners, but they turn against him when he makes claims that they cannot accept. Example, nobody freaks out when a celebrity says, I, I give praise to God. Or says, I've been praying to God. Or a professional sports athlete says, I thank God for helping me win this game, or whatever. And the article went on and said, you can talk about God, or you could talk about spirituality, and there's not a lot of controversy. But bring up the name of Jesus, and things often get tense quickly. Have you ever noticed that? When you say, well, I thank God for that. Most people are going to get upset. Change God to Jesus and watch what happens. All of a sudden, the air just gets a little tense because now you're getting very specific. I mean, when, when people are brought to city councils and they're asked to pray ahead of time and they tell you, but don't pray in Jesus' name, I ain't praying because I don't have a prayer to, to an unknown God. Paul talked about those. He said, to those, I saw a statue of Mars Hill to, to the unknown God. He said, I could tell you who that is. He said, his name is Jesus Christ. People don't get upset when you present the Jesus of love and mercy and helping the poor. But present the Jesus that says he's the only way to heaven, that every person is a sinner, that hell is real and so is heaven. Or, uh, bring up the fact that every person needs to repent of their sins. That's not saying I'm sorry. That's repentance. I mean, bring up the fact that God demand, Jesus demands surrender of everything in your life and to follow him and that he commands us to share the gospel, the good news with other people. Guess what? People are going to get upset because now... You're messing in their life. You're meddling in their lives. 
And because of this, many pastors refused to preach the whole truth of the gospel. Instead, they preach a watered-down version that, so as to not offend anyone. But that's not any different than in the days of Jesus. I, I, really, I went back and looked through the scriptures, and I realized they did this in Jesus' day. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, um, the, 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 the religious leaders of the day, they all came. This is coming towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And, and they came to him and said, um, by what authority are you teaching and doing these things? And I want you to notice that. I said, by what authority are you teaching and doing these things? Now, he's, they're going after the preacher. They're going after the rabbi. But people were buying into what he was saying. Okay? You see the, you see the relationship there? If a pastor's preaching the whole gospel truth, there will be those in religious circles who will rise up and go, who do you think you are preaching things like this? We don't want this being taught. And so Jesus replies to them, and he said, I also ask you one question. If you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he goes on, he says, where did the baptism of John come from? Speaking of John the Baptist. Was it from heaven or was it from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the people for all hold John as a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we do not know. I want you to notice two things real quick in there. First one is, it says they were fearful of the people. They were fearful of the people. The fear of others, of what they might say and do, is a snare. That's what the Bible says. Proverbs 29 and 5 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. In other words, the fear of men ruled their spiritual decisions. Jesus said, was the baptism of John from heaven or of men? And because of the fear of the people, they said, we're not going to answer. We don't know. It was a snare. It was like Jesus had set a trap for them, and they saw it. They, they couldn't help but almost walk into it. That's what a snare is. It's not a word that we use often, but it's a trap, or it's a lure of something to lure something into a trap. And here's what I can tell you is that the fear of man, and when I say man, I'm talking about people, okay? The fear of man can be both physical and psychological, now, the fear of man, we can understand. Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. He said, I tell you, my friends, you do, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and, and, and after that can do no more. He said, but I will show you whom to fear. Fear him who, after uh, your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In other words, he's saying, don't be afraid of people. Fear God. Have a reverence fear of God. And any time you put the reverence or the fear of man over the fear of God, you've lowered God. And you now have fallen into the snare of the fear of men. So 
and he was trying to tell his disciples. In fact, he went on to tell them, he said, get ready, persecution's coming. They're gonna put you in jail, they're gonna beat you, they're gonna do all kinds of things, but they're gonna do it because you are followers of me. We understand physical persecution, kind of. Most of us have not been there, but we understand the concept. But psychological persecution can even be more de deadly than physical persecution because psychological persecution is the fear that is an anxious need to receive affirmation from those that are around us. The fear of man manifest in, in people as people pleasing, compromise values, a peer pressure, and the decision not to even share our faith. And the fear of man can, can be a snare when we allow it to make our spiritual decisions. Rather than be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we're more concerned about what this people will say or my family will say or my husband might say, my wife might say, my kids might do. Or They're more concerned about their response than the response of God. And it's easier to heed the fear of man than to invite the possibility that may come of the consequences for taking a stand for God. It's so real. Consider the bold words of Peter when he and other apostles were ordered to stop preaching in the name of Jesus in Acts 5, 29. He said, we must obey God rather than men. The first disciples did not allow the fear of men from keeping them from doing what God had called them to do. But I want you to notice, not only were they afraid of men, but the second response, and that is they lied. They lied. Those religious leaders lied. How do I know that? Because of what their first reasoning response was. They said, what do we do? Because their first response was, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe? Why did they start with that? Because they knew he was from God. He, he, they knew he was the Messiah. He, they knew but they did not want to believe. They lied about it. The message of the church today is still clear, hear me. For pastors, ministers, and for every believer who professes the name of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, verse seven and eight, it says, as you go, say you, you. Point at your neighbor and go, he's talking to you. Turn around and say, he's talking to you. He's, you, you you're the you. <laughs> As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you receive, freely give. The commission was given to his church, of which every true follower of Jesus Christ is part of the church. But in American Christianity, we say, that's the job of the pastor. That's what we hire them for. And that's why the church has lost its influence. And that's why the church has become like a dull axe trying to chop down a tree. It can make no inroads because it's lost its edge. He said, Pastor, where's all this going? Let me bring it to a close. I don't know how to explain this except to tell you what I sensed and not just sense, but understood in that moment almost three weeks ago when I heard that voice 
a call for the separation of the house. A call for the separation of the house. In, in the next few moments, I sensed that there was something on the near horizon of time that God is about to do. Now listen to me. I cannot say for certain what it is. I have, I'm going to say some insights to some of it. But I know what I heard three weeks ago. There's a call for a separation of the house. And it came from heaven, from the chairperson of the house of God in heaven itself. And there is a shaking that is coming that is going to require a rising vote. That's why I had to set the stage in the beginning so you'd understand parliamentary law. God is going to bring about a series of events that will require each person that claims to be a member of his house to rise and cast their vote, yay or nay. There are agendas being put into motion even now to bring to bear upon true believers that will cause them to have to rise and declare yay or nay. Now do not misunderstand what I am saying because this is not a negative message nor a message of fear and doom and gloom and somebody of you, some of you are looking at me like, well, it sounds like it. You're missing it. Let me tell you, here it is. See, what I heard was there's a call for a separation of the house. The purpose is for a rising vote to find out who is on the side of the Lord and the purpose of God in these last days and those who are not. There is going to be a separation. The Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away. You can't fall away unless you've been there already. Come on now. You can't fall away from something you've never been to. You can't say, I got up and left the party when you never went to the party. The Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. And, and God is about to call for a rising vote to know who is available for this last day move of God. Because this is what he spoke to me. He said, the coming outpouring of my spirit, my power, and my authority is not for those who say, I do not know or we do not know, or those who live in the shadow of the fear of man. It is those who are willing to stand up and say, yay, for the purpose of God. Yay, for the kingdom of God. Yay, for what God is about to do. He is going to separate, and he's going to establish those who are committed to the mission, committed to the call, committed to seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ taken to the four corners of the earth. Last week, I talked about living as a David in the land of giants. 
And I want to tell you the spiritual giants are already at work. I, I wish I had time to unfold the things that are happening behind the scenes. The government and health agencies and, and food agencies are working already to us. It's already in motion. They're already beginning. It's not conspiracy stuff. It's actual stuff that's going on. And they're establishing a beachhead, if I can put it that way, throughout the earth. They're doing it through governments and banks and merchants. But none of this has taken God by surprise. I want you to say that way. None of this has taken God by surprise. Okay? He's been raising up those who have learned to hear his voice. He has been training those who will take a stand against the untruth concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's been preparing those who are ready to stand and be counted for the cause of the kingdom of Christ. There is a call going out from heaven for a separation of the house. Those who are ready to declare allegiance to Christ, those who are ready to proclaim the truth, though the culture pushes back against it, those who are ready to champion the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus said, and declare that he's coming again soon, those who will contend to see a move of God in their generation. It's not going to fall on you like ripe peaches out of a tree. You're going to have to contend for it. And it's where prayer comes in. But it's not just prayer. You can pray, but you've got to act. Faith without works is dead. We need to be the voice in the, of righteousness in, in a time when no one wants to hear that voice. We have to be the life. And, and this last thought is what came to mind. The chair of heaven and earth calls for your verification by a rising vote saying, yay, yay unto God, yes unto God, yes unto his purpose, yes unto his kingdom. Lord, count me in, count me in. And I wonder if there's anyone here today who is willing to stand up and say, here am I, here am I, yea, unto the Lord, yes, unto the Lord, unto the kingdom of God. Because that's where we're at. That's where we're at. What is your response What is your response? Now, some of you are sitting out there and you're thinking, well, this preacher's nuts. He's lost his mind. I've never been to a church where he, nobody preached like that before. Well, welcome to Life Church. But this ain't about who we are, it's about who he is. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the only answer for your life. If you've not surrendered your life to him, you're running on fumes, buddy. Can I tell you what? I mean, you're running on fumes. I had a friend in high school. He would always pull up to the pump. And, and this was years ago, you could obviously, because you see, I just put a dollar's worth of gas in. That would get you with about three and a half gallons of gas back in those days. I said, but yeah, but man... Cars didn't get good mileage like they do now. I said, son, you're running on fumes. He goes, no, I'm right above empty. I said, 
I know a lot of Christians like that. They just run their life a little above empty. And they expect somehow to make it from this Sunday to this Sunday. Can I tell you, there are things going to pop up in the middle of the week that you're not ready for because you're running on fumes. And God said, this is not the time to be playing those games. This is not the time to be running on empty. Can I tell you, this is the time you better have a full tank. You better have the, all of the Holy Ghost working and manifesting in your life. You better have the Word of God built up as a reserve inside of you. So when that giant shows himself on that Tuesday morning or that Thursday night or whenever it might be during the week, say, devil, you picked on the wrong person at the wrong time because this child of God is filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. I am filled with the Word. I am not subjected to your fears. I am not going to cower and, and just go off to somewhere and, and hide. I, I'm telling you, you've messed with the wrong person. You've come to the wrong house. You have no authority here. You have no authority. That's what they asked Jesus. Tell us by what authority you're doing these things. And I'm telling you, the culture of this age, the religious people of this age, they're rising up and going, by what authority do you think you have to pray the way you do? By what authority? You say, I have all the authority right here in this book because I believe it from cover to cover. Amen. I'm telling you, there's, a, there's something to be about to come. There's a, there's a convoluted, there's a confluence of things that's about to come together. And the wisest people of the earth are going to be scratching their heads, trying to understand it. And here's what I know is that many people who are sitting in churches today, swallowing up the pablum that being doled out from the pulpits, they're not ready for what's coming. They're not ready for what's coming. And they're coming into the church. They're going to fill the churches. They're coming in and going, what's this all about, preacher? What's this all about, pastor? What's this all about, reverend? Where's that? And the pastor's up there going, uh, 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 I, 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 I don't know. I cannot tell you, there's a hunger. There's a hunger and a thirst that's being released throughout the land and it's coming from heaven. It's breaking through walls. It's breaking down traditions. It's breaking down mindsets. It's breaking out. And it's invading the very space that people try to wall off. And they're waking up and they're going, what's the point? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of going on? And God is reaching down through the strands of time and eternity to this very moment. And he's drawing them. He's pulling them in. He's bringing them to the place. And I'm telling you, you're going to find you're going to have strangers knocking on your door that you don't even know. And they're going to be coming up and knocking on your door and they're going to say something like, I don't know why I'm even knocking on this door, but something told me to come here 
and I'd find an answer for what I, I'm looking for. I had no intention of saying that, never even thought it till just now, but I see it. I see it happening. It's happening. It's happening. You'll have neighbors that you know, you recognize, but you have no relationship with. And suddenly you're going to, something's going to happen and they're going to be knocking on your door. They're going to be showing up at some place where you're at and they're going to be asking, do you mind if I ask you a question? Can I talk to you for a minute? And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to take a standing boat, a rising boat, and said, Lord, I hear the call for the separation of the house. Lord, I stand and give my affirmation of yes. Yes to the kingdom. Yes to this last day's move. I will be a part of it. It's coming. It's coming. And I'm not talking a long ways off. I'm telling you, it's closer than you think. You're going to wake up one morning and you're going to see something in the news that's going to absolutely blow your mind. And you'll say, where did that come from? And your mind's going to come right back to this Sunday morning. And you're going to say, Pastor Bob said it was coming. And God has brought it to pass. He hasn't brought it to pass because I said it. He's already said it and put it in motion. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing from the throne of God. Now, there's some people watching by way of the Internet. Oh, I know who they are, and they're trolls. They just love to get on there and send me messages. There you go, talking about visions and, and things that you heard and this and that. Why don't you just preach the Word? I am preaching the Word. I'm telling you, these things are about to come to pass. The Bible says we are not children of the dark, but children of the light. We, we don't wander in darkness, not understanding the things that God is doing. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, He will show you things to come. It's coming. How many of you are ready? How many of you are ready? I wonder if there's anyone here this morning, be honest and say, Pastor Bob, I don't understand all that stuff you were talking about, but I do know this. I'm running on fumes. I, I'm, I'm doing it myself, and I need Jesus in my life. I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And if that is you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to know who to pray for. I want to know who to pray for. Is there anyone here at all? I don't know everybody here. I would not preach this message without giving you an opportunity to raise your hand. If you're watching by way of the internet, then you can lift your hand and say, Jesus, I surrender everything to you right now. Every part of my life, every aspect of my life, all my relationships, my jobs, my business, everything, Lord, I surrender to you. I want to follow you, Jesus. If you're a Christian and you're ready to be counted in that rising vote, would you stand to your feet and let heaven take the count? Let heaven take the count. I believe the chairman, if I can put it that way, on the throne is saying, take the count and let me know. Let me know the number. Let me know the names. Jesus had 12. He 
turn the world upside down. Look around this building right now. By what authority do you do the things that you do? By what authority do you say the things that you say? By what authority? And you say in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names, he, the one who's called me, the one who redeemed me, the one who brought me out of the pit and set my feet like hinds feet, the one who gave me life evermore. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. Holy Spirit, give us hearing. Give us understanding for the hour in which we live that we might be used mightily for you, Lord God. God, we tear down every preconceived notion of how you're going to move or what it would look like. We just want to be obedient to the word of the Lord as it comes unto us. Peter and John were going to pray because it was the hour in which they normally prayed. But this day, for some reason, you spoke to him. And Peter turned to the crippled man and said, Silver and gold I don't have, but that which I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And Luke records that his ankle bones were made straight. And he stood up and he went walking and leaping and praising God. That's not a Bible story for a set period of time. It, there is no amen to the book of Acts. This is the message for the hour. Can we take a couple of minutes now? And I feel so burdened this morning. I was crying this morning to pray for pastors, whatever they may be called, ministers, reverends, whatever, male or female, that God would send the fire upon the pulpits that it might flow to the pews. We can pray for revival. But the Bible says if you smite the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. But if you can strike the shepherd with the fire of God, then the fire can spread throughout the sheepfolds. Come on, church. Let's pray right now. Father, we lift up all the pastors in the area. We lift up the ministers, those who are overseeing flocks, from whether it's a handful to whether it's tens of thousands, Lord God. Doesn't matter. We pray for the Holy Ghost to take hold of them. They might hear the word echo in their chamber of their heart. There's a call for a separation of the house that God has taken account. He is looking for those who can be committed, who will be committed, who will not turn around and walk away. God, I pray for those who God have been hurt. Can I tell you, there are, there are thousands who have been hurt in the ministry and tens of thousands of their children. And they built walls so they can't be hurt again. But I'm telling you by the voice of the Holy Ghost that if you build a wall to keep the hurt from coming, you've built a wall to keep His love from touching you. And you cannot minister the love of God as long as that wall is there.
Father, I pray. I pray for those pastors and their families who have been hurt by the church. God, bring a restoration. 1,800 ministers a month leave the ministry. God, to do a healing in their hearts that would cause them to come back into it. I've never prayed that before, Lord, but I believe you're able to turn it around. Bring healing and restoration that those who fill the pulpits can say, I've been where you are. I know the pain, I know the hurt, but I know the one who is able to heal and to establish. God, I pray for the children of pastors. Their hearts be tender towards you. God, that they would see the good in the church. They would see the good in what you're doing. They would see a move of God in their home and, and, and just an outpouring of love by those around them, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, let's just love on the Lord for a moment. Can we do that? Come on, Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mighty God, mighty God. Come on, come on. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Come on. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. God is an all-consuming fire. Mighty God. Mighty God. God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, you are. Our God is an all-consuming our God is an all-consuming fire. Oh, our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, you are, Lord. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Oh, yeah. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Yes, you are, Lord. Our God is a no-consuming fire. Oh, our God is a no-consuming fire. Cause you are holy. 
give it to the church I'll give it to missions but I am out but can I tell you God the Holy Ghost like a hound dog was on my was after me he wouldn't let me off the hook wouldn't let me off the hook tiger wouldn't let me off the hook Kurt wouldn't let me off the hook he said I didn't call you to do this I said but I'm successful in business I'd rather have the hardships of business and be able to go home and leave my business behind and have peace in my house. God said, I didn't call you to that. One day he spoke to me clearly and he said, you can have it or you can have me. But if you take it, I pull the anointing off your life for what I've called you to do. And I fell on my face and said, God, no, I will not carry these hurts anymore. And I am a witness to tell you he lifted the burden of the pain of those hurts. We're praying right now. Every person who's been hurt by anyone in the church, whether it was intentional or not, God wants to heal you right now. Father, we pray for those who raised their hands and those who may be listening, who catch this part of the message, who have been hurt whether intentional or not, by people in the church. God, we release them from the prison cell that we've been holding them in. Because holding them there, Lord, makes us also a captive to that pain. And God, we desire to be free and we desire to be used mightily of you for your kingdom purposes. Therefore, God, we release, we open the door of the prison cell of our heart. We release that pain, we give it to you. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, and we throw away that key. There's no way we're going back there again. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. The psalmist declared, bring my soul out of prison that I might praise your name. God, we praise you today. We praise you today. We praise you today. We praise you today. God, for now and forever, we praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Woo! Yeah! Free at last! Free at last! Free at last! 
God, we praise you. Raise us up to hear your voice. Raise us up to be obedient on the spot when you speak, Lord God. Let miracles and signs and wonders be seen, multiplied in such way that God, no one gets the glory but you. Do it in such a way that people who see it will say, that has to be God. That has to be Jesus. Father, we praise you and we thank you and we love you, Lord. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you need special prayer for anything, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an incredible God, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled week.